ओम ज्ञान तिमिरंदस्याक्षणमिलताे नम नाम श्रेष्ठा मनुमा सच्चिपुत्र अस्वूप्रजमुपुरी मातरी गौष्टावती राधाकुंडम गिरीवर महो राधिकमधावशंप्रतीतृपायाश्रीगुरुतमस्पाशंदुभ्यवानेभ्यो नमो नमः नीखिलाश्रुतिमौलिरात्मालुति निराजिता पदपाकजनता आजी मुक्तकुलाइपश्यामनम परितम हरिण संश्रयामी खेलोधनीतहीदयाशदय प्राणमीलोदय साम्यक्षस्रिभादयासदया चितादय साम्यक्तिनोदयाश्रमादया माधुर्यदया श्रीचैतन्यदयानिदेतवदय भूयादमंदोदय अजानुलंबिता भुज कानकावदा संकर्तनाईको कमलायतक्षु विश्वभरो दुयावरो जुगधार्म वंदे जगत्प्रियको करुणावतारो नीलंबोधित सदाशवीर क्षेपाताधवती कथादीरया संजीवय भातीयद्भागवत सदाशनायना आश्रुपाय नई पूजय गोस्वामी प्रावरो गदाधर विभोर भूयात्मदेकाति रासाघनमुहनमूर्ति विचित्रकेली महोत्सवोलसित राधाचरनालोदिथम रुचिराशिखंडम हरि वंदे वृंदवनेश्वरीत वैवपदारविंदम मृतकमकंदरशोकपूर्ण हृदयारपित मधुपते स्मरतापमोग्रम निर्वापयतरमशीतलमाश्रयामी भक्तियापराधलक्षा क्षिप्ताकमादितरंगे कृपमयी शरना प्रपानम वृंदे नमस्ते चरनारबिंदम वृंदे नमस्ते चरनारबिंदम श्री सचिनंदन गौरहरि की जय श्री श्री गौर नित्यनंद की जय श्री श्री गौर गदाधर जी की जय श्री हरिनाम प्रभु की जय श्री नवद्वीप धाम की जय श्री मायापुर धाम की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की गौर प्रमानंद हरि 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 सो 
Pranam to all of you and welcome. Thank you so much for <clears throat> for coming once again. Seems you have survived the previous meeting, so congratulations. <laughs> so I'd like to begin with a question today. And uh, I've done this question before and I'd like to invite you to help me resolve this query. So I will ask you a question and you please answer the question quickly without thinking too much, please, okay? So what's the opposite of faith? Quickly. Doubt, doubt. okay. Your gut feeling told you doubt. Okay, so today we'll be talking about how the opposite of faith is not doubt, <laughs> but how doubt is there to nourish faith. So to, today's title will be basically when to doubt our faith and have faith in our doubts, to make a play of words. When to doubt our faith and when to have faith in our doubt. When to doubt our faith and faith our doubts, if you want to put it like that. <laughs> so sorry to embarrass you with this question. I knew everyone will say doubt, so that's why I generally ask the question. So we can try to, to decon deconstruct that idea and understand, no, doubt is not the opposite of faith. As I like to, to say, and I have mentioned in my, in my <clears throat> recent book, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Sorry for sending you into shock treatment. The opposite of faith is certainty. Although many times we think that certainty is synonymous with faith. And we think doubt is the opposite of faith. And faith must have to do with certainty. So today we'll be demystify that notion, <laughs> try and show how the opposite of faith is certainty. And doubt has a crucial role to play in nourishing our faith. Faith and doubt are co-terminus, no, they, they, they nourish one another, ideally. Of course, we will speak about some faith, some type of doubts that are not healthy, but some types of doubts that are very necessary to keep our faith open and nuanced and deep and humble. We want a humble faith. We, want, we don't want a faith that is that takes itself too seriously, <laughs> so to say that is absolutely sure about everything, so there is no place for further progress. So I hope you agree to join me on today's journey, and we'll try to talk about how there is a place <clears throat> for doubt in the faith journey. Because again, faith has a lot to do with what we're talking these days. Uh, coexisting with something that is, I mean, faith is a journey, and it's a journey into the infinite, into the unlimited, into something that is mysterious in so many ways. It's something that we can never fully know absolutely. So we have to keep a humble openness to further discovery. We are like eternal explorers in the faith journey. It's kind of an excavation project, I like to call it. No? Like when... The more you excavate, the, the hard, harder the layers of soil are there. Now, in the beginning, you can use 
some tool and it's easy to take some soil. But the deeper you are going, it's not so easy. <laughs> so if you want to go deeper, you have to make harder work. So in this case, the first faith journeys is similar. The deeper we go into our journey, the harder we need to work. Not the physical work, but it's the more subtle it becomes. No? The more openness is required, the more humility it is required, the, the closeness, the closer we get to God, to the divine, the more humble we are expected to be, the more dedicated, the more everything. That's because the reality of the divine naturally demands uh, an increasing of all our good qualities. That, will, that has to be natural. No, it's not that Krishna will be forcing us to do that, but it will be like a natural thing. The more I get closer to the all-attractive, naturally the more certain qualities in me will increase due to my proximity to the all-attractive, my dedication. Like we were saying the other day, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami says, at every moment, and literally at every moment, not once in a week, at every nanosecond, Krishna is becoming more beautiful. It's difficult to imagine. We don't have the experience of someone becoming more beautiful at every blinking. No? A new Krishna, an upgraded version of himself. That's who Krishna is. At every moment, he's becoming more and more beautiful. And at every moment, the love of the gopis and the love of every devotee is becoming more and more beautiful, more intense, more deep, to serve that new beauty that is blossoming from Krishna. Krishna is more beautiful, his devotees are more dedicated to serve the beauty. And that dedication makes Krishna more beautiful. <laughs> and that makes them more dedicated, and that makes Krishna more beautiful. And, and in this way, we enter into a dance. And the two of them, Sri Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami, the two of them enter into a competition in which none of them accept defeat. <laughs> there is constant expansion and expansion. So this is connected to the faith journey where we always are open to a reality that is ever evolving. So, and again, going back to humility. Humility, one of the ways of defining humility is, I remember once I was curious about what, must, what does the dictionary say about humility? I mean, I'm not going to the dictionary as my ultimate praman or evidence, but I was curious. Let's see what the dictionary says, at least the one I had at my house. So I checked dictionary. Humility basically had to do with the awareness of one's own limitations. So I acknowledge that I don't have absolute knowledge, power, control, anything. And therefore, I'm, hum I'm humbled by that. So we as Vaishnavas, as you may hopefully know, humility is kind of our de-quality. No? I remember once, uh, I think it was to St. Augustine, they were asking, which are the three main qualities that a Christian should culture? I say first, humility, second, humility, and third, humility. No? <laughs> Just to make the point. So similarly, when Mahaprabhu is describing 26 qualities that characterize the devotee, humility is coming so quickly. I mean, Trinada, Peace, Nietzsche, and Mahaprabhu is praising him. And humility can mean many things. 
different parts of our journey, we are we are expected to express our humility in different ways. It's not that humility is only one thing. Mm, I'm humble. This can be just a, a mudra, a, a performance. Humility can take different shapes. As long as we are internally submitting ourselves to, to the ultimate truth, that's real, the spirit of humility, whatever form it takes externally. So <clears throat> we are to remain humble. We are to remain, as we talked the other day, students forever. And one of the main qualities of a student is to be humble. For example, in the relationship between guru and disciple. And relationship to our main topic today, faith, doubt, and how, what's the role of one in the other. The role of the guru is to create to, make, to create healthy doubts in the disciple, one of the roles of the guru. The role of the guru is to give certainty, to give answers, to give conclusive thought, but also in such a way that it always leaves the room open for more, for more. And especially to, to help the student to not be so sure about his or her understanding of everything. If you go to your guru and thinking, okay, I already understood this particular topic. So the duty of the guru is to, to take you out of that comfort zone, of that uncertainty zone. I know. So the guru will explain things in such a way that you are like, I, th I thought I understood that, but now, now that you are saying that, I realize I was, I was wrong. <laughs> And that, that's, that's great, that's healthy <laughs> to, to, to enter into that space when we realize, oh, where I thought it was perfect, it helped me maybe, we, we may have certain understanding of things in certain stage of our practice, it helps us. At one point we need to upgrade that. It, it's no longer enough. What's nourishing our faith on day one, maybe suffocating our faith on day two. That can happen. You follow my point? We, we, we may practice from a certain place and it's inspiring, it's exciting, it's yes. After some years, when I say day two, it's not the next day, immediately after some time, we may realize, oh, the way I used to practice is no longer enough for me. It does mean that the practice is lacking something. It doesn't mean that Krishna Bhakti has run out of resources. <laughs> it means that you are being invited to discover a new version of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, a new version of Bhakti, a new depth, a new level of depth in how to participate in Krishna consciousness. Krishna consciousness is not run, running out of depth, breadth, resources. It's unlimited. But we have to practice in a way that we are constantly discovering that. <clears throat> This happens a lot in maths, maths? Mathematics. mathematics. Okay, yeah. So many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Negative numbers suddenly, as we were talking the other day. In the beginning, you don't have an idea what's negative number. There is something called minus twenty, and it's like, what's that? No, and so on. And there are even formulas in mathematics that they are not rationally explainable, even no. You can say you can make a square of a negative number. Mm -hmm. The next level, 
Yeah, so there is paradox in the structure of reality. <laughs> so the, the role of the, the teacher is to keep the disciple in what we may call a teachable moment, no? in, a, in a mood of always being willing to learn and embrace the mystery that God is. Mm -hmm. That's faith. Faith has to do with dealing with mystery. Mm -hmm. Being patient with mystery, not just being impatient and wanting to figure everything out as soon as possible. That's a tendency to control. I want to know sometimes means I want to control. Because if you have knowledge, you have power to control. So too much knowledge give, may give this sense of certainty. I know. And in our particular tradition, we have so much knowledge, which is beautiful. I'm not complaining. I mean, I, I love to, to study and so on and so forth, but everything has its price. No? <laughs> and to have a very big body of literature, a very detailed revelation, I mean, there is so much detailed revelation in our tradition, as we were saying the other day, about even what's the name of Krishna's earrings? <laughs> like, I mean, what's the name of Sri Radha's Uncle bells. I mean, how, you, how where you get so specific? <laughs> but the point is, you can get lost into a sea of specificity, <clears throat> or you can become proud by thinking, ah, I know, I know, which is God's the name of God's earrings. Hmm? Do you people from other traditions have that information? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you can become proud. You can become arrogant. You can become farther and farther from the divine <clears throat> by thinking I'm getting closer and closer because I know so much. But <clears throat> whatever we happen to know, <clears throat> sorry, whatever we happen to know, ideally is to make us more humble. If we acquire more and more knowledge, it has to be processed in such a way that is making us more and more humble. If that's not happening, probably you need to stop acquiring knowledge. <laughs> because you are not, you, you don't know how to digest that. You don't know what's the ultimate purpose of that. I mean, the ultimate purpose in our tradition is not to have lots of knowledge, it's to love Krishna. And love is the highest knowledge. So whatever knowledge we receive, and I'm not against knowledge, again, if you, I mean, I give thousands of lectures per year, so I'm sharing knowledge, but with some purpose, in a way that we remain humble and we remain... Uh, it's clear for us that the goal of life is to love God, and love is the highest knowledge. That's what Mahaprabhu say, tells Ramananda Roy in their conversation. That's what Krishna says in the Gita, Raja Vidya, Raja Guhyam. He describes Bhakti as Raja Vidya, the king of all Education, the key of knowledge is love. So all we are learning, we are knowing, we are talking about this to take us to a place of giving ourselves in service to Krishna. The goal of our life ultimately is to have, in one sense, so little knowledge that we will even ignore the fact that Krishna is God. <laughs> That's the standard in Golok Vrindavan. If you go to Golok and try to... You see what happened to Uddhava. 
he tried to go to Vrindavan and try to educate, quote-unquote, the Brajavasis into Krishna is God, Krishna is the Absolute. No? What happened to that knowledge that he brought? No? Recently I was in Vrindavan for, <clears throat> for Kartik, and the last part of, of Kartik I stay in one place called Gyangudri. And that's a very nice place, and that's exactly the place when Uddhav's knowledge was torn into pieces. Gyan means knowledge, and Gudri means like a like a rocked doll or something. So the Brajabasi took the knowledge of Uddhav, Krishna is God, Krishna is God, and it's like... <laughs> Their bhakti is called Gyan Sunya Bhakti. Gyan Sunya Bhakti. In the Srila Bhakti Rakhya Dev Goswami Maharaj will say, Gyan Sunya Bhakti means brain dead bhakti. <laughs> brain dead bhakti. No. The brain is not operating, the heart is totally operated. In one sense, the heart is so awakened that brain is just like reach its function by fully activating the heart, so to say. <clears throat> they love Krishna so much that they cannot see him as, as God anymore. They, they can see Krishna as Krishna, but for who he is. Again, this is a very important point of our tradition. Krishna is not God, merely God, he's something else. God is a secondary designation of Krishna. And Krishna is God when God wants to be himself. As I said the other day, God is Krishna in the office. Okay? Krishna is God at home, barefoot. Not suit, no shoes, no bureaucracy. No, hello, good morning, my pleasure. This is my office. Good morning, Mr. President, Mr. God, Mr. Universal Administrator. That's somewhere, but Krishna is something else. He's, he's completely captured in a world where nobody knows that he's God. Even if the idea of God, and even if the idea of God comes, for example, when Krishna lifted Govardhan, as you know, that was pretty Aishvaric. That's pretty godlike. Imagine if your five-year-old child lifts a, a hill that takes that 24 kilometers to circumambulate. And he lifts it with the smallest finger or the less of the less powerful hand for a week. <laughs> so that you start to have your doubts about who is my child, right? I mean, you have to question the ontological position of your baby. <laughs> Until now, I thought he was an ordinary village boy, but what's going on here? It seems he's something. And, and the rumor starts to spread. Maybe he's God. Maybe he's God. So the rumor reaches Nanda Maharaj's ears. No? So, and Nanda Maharaj is in his, again, Gyan Sonia Bhakti. He just cannot think of Krishna as anything but my Lala, my, 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 my little one. So he immediately will tell the Brajavasis, they will come to him like he's the, the elder, the authority in the village, so the king. <clears throat> so this happened, we were doubting that maybe your son is, and they were like, who, who tells him, who tells him, you tell him, maybe he's God. <laughs> and then the Mara is like, how can you ever think like that? I mean, I know who God is, I worship God every day on my altar. He's Vishnu Narayan, he's the personification of He's Shanti Purusha, the personification of peace. 
Krishna cannot be God. He's never peaceful. He's always agitated. No? He's always disturbed, doing mischief. I know God. He never tells a lie. Krishna is all day lying. I, lo- I know God. He's Atma Ram. He's self-satisfied. Krishna is never satisfied. He's always asking for more. Give me candy. Give me toys. He's crying. He, he cannot be God. That's his argument. And the interesting thing, of course, that everyone in Brindavan will believe him. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Sorry for bringing such a such a disturbing apasidanta in front of you, Nanda Maharaj. <laughs> End of the arguments, and everyone is just like. <clears throat> or another option will be, Nanda Maharaj can say, even if he's God, first he's my child. Try to understand that psychology. Even he, even if he's God, he may be God. That's a secondary designation. First, he's my child. So everyone in Brindan will think in that way. Even if, if at some point you pre- push on on them too much, Krishna may be God, Krishna. At the end of the day, we say, okay, even if he's God, let him be God. He can be all whatever he wants. But first, <laughs> he's our our friend, our lover, our child, or whatever, according to the relation. So I'm saying all this in the context of Gyan Sunya Bhakti, remember. No? You ultimately, the converging type of devotion and love that Gaudiya Sampradaya is officially promoting is this type of intimacy, this type of sweetness, Madhurya. Madhurya means intimacy and sweetness, hmm? where we need to forget that Krishna. Now we need to remember that Krishna is God. So someday we forget about it. We can put it like that. Now we are learning in detail how Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan. The, not only God, the supreme personality of God, the source even of Naraya, such an Aishvaric prospect. But we have to do it properly. So at some point we start to see Krishna in another terms, in terms of intimacy. So I'm making this point because for us Gaudias, the ultimate goal has to do with this. So we have to conduct ourselves in our daily practice in such a way that it corresponds to the ultimate goal. <clears throat> so in that way, going back, we need to embrace a healthy, uh, how to say, a healthy type of faith in which we are nourished by knowledge, but also we are not so much addicted to certainty, addicted to having everything clear, figured out. I know who Krishna is. I mean, whenever you say, I know who Krishna is, we are, I mean, Krishna doesn't know who he is. That's say the Bhagavatam. That's not Padmanava Swami creating his own scriptures. No, the Bhagavatam tells Krishna doesn't know which are his own limits. He, I mean, we are in the land of of Mahaprabhu. Who is Mahaprabhu? Mahaprabhu is Krishna exploring who he is in further depth. Krishna in Vrindavan is seeing, oh, Shirada is loving me in such a way. What One of the third, three reasons for Mahaprabhu to come, one of the three internal reasons is Krishna's extreme curiosity about what is Shirada seeing in me? What's the beauty she's seen in me that makes her mad in love like she is what's in me that makes her who she is what's in me who am i 
what, she, what she's perceiving something in me that I am not perceiving. <laughs> Imagine it's Krishna himself re recognizing there are some things that I'm not, I'm not grasping. Mahaprabhu is the solution to that existential problem that Krishna is having. <laughs> and we are in the land of that personality. We are in the land where these principles are so, so prevailing. <laughs> so we have to, to, to tie all the things together. Again, to understand how what we are talking here is so much connected with the essence of our Sampradaya. So there is place for healthy doubt. Doubt is to nourish our faith. When we, we, we start to understand faith as certainty, the role again of the teacher, the role of our well-wishers is not to allow that to happen. If I see my friends becoming too sure about something, my duty as a friend is to make them not so sure about that. <laughs> I mean, there, there has to be some certainty. I have certainty. Krishna is God. Krishna is supremely merciful. There are so many certainties we have. But on the basis of that, I will be open to that may express itself in one way, in another, in another. So the role of the guru is to invoke healthy questions in the disciple. And the role of the disciple is to doubt in front of the guru. No, that's the duty of the disciple. Pariprasnena says Krishna in the Gita. Present your questions to the guru humbly. Present your question means doubt. <laughs> if I'm fully certain about everything, I, I don't have any questions. If I, I'm absolutely certain about everything, there is no question. And if there are no questions, I cannot be a disciple. Because one of the main duties of the disciple is to present questions. Pranipat, Pariprasna. If you go to all the various descriptions of what's expected from a disciple, one of the main dharmas of the sishya of the disciple is sit in front of your guru and doubt <laughs> in a healthy way. Again, not doubt about, oh, Gurudev, I don't know if Krishna is real, if all this is real, I don't know if you are real. No, not, not, not questioning to that level. Of course, if you have certain Christ and you need to question something, everyone is open to question whatever they need to question but open to be to receive proper answers. Instead, at, at the end of the Gita, the word asheshana is mentioned. Asheshana means endlessly. No? So it speaks about how endlessly we are invited to, to present our questions. And again, questions is not about doing doubting about the reality of all this, but questions about how to go deeper into all of this. How to understand more precisely all of this? How to dedicate myself in a better way? As we were talking yesterday, kinkara, no? kinkara. Mahaprabhu is saying in Shikshastakam, Ajinandat Noya, kinkara. <laughs> so kinkara translated as servant, but kinkara. Kim means what? Kara means to do. So kinkara means what can I do? And it, no, that's the disposition of the servant, how to serve, what to do, how to offer myself. So that's, that's a doubt, that's a question in that sense. There's no doubt that I want to serve, but how to serve. 
how to how to please you more, how to offer a more favorable service. That's a healthy, uh, a healthy doubt that a, a genuine disciple is having. How can I please Krishna more today? Tomorrow is another day, another opportunity of pleasing him even deeper. But what about today? Sorry, you were raising your hand. Yeah. <laughs> so, what happens if a student has a, a doubt about a scriptural verse or a section, but the scripture master can't answer that doubt? He doesn't particularly know that, that topic, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so, what happens when a disciple has a doubt and the guru cannot answer? that particular doubt or question, uh, a few things come to mind. Of course, one thing is, depending what's the question, because some, some question may be, one important thing that I also try to clarify in my book is, the guru is not omniscient, just in case. Because sometimes I've heard about the saying, the guru is omniscient. It means he knows everything. But that does not say in Shastra. What, what, what it, or when it seems to be said in Shastra, that thing means a guru referring to the highest caliber of guru, because there are different levels of guru. That's another conversation. But if your guru happens to be a fully surrendered, pure, loving devotee, Krishna will reveal in the heart of that person whatever the guru needs to know at any given moment. In that sense, the guru is omniscient. It doesn't mean that he knows about everything. It's not that you ask your guru, I know, what's my grandmother doing now in, 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 in Jamaica? Uh, she's doing the, no, no, it's not, it doesn't mean that. So I'm saying that's because sometimes devotees may come disciples with questions with this idea, or they will reply to anything. I mentioned Yeah. The Acharyas haven't explained it correctly, and Prabhupada couldn't explain it correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, when the students can and ask, he would say, Well, you'll have to. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there are mm. scriptural. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you mentioned there are details and there are principles. Yeah. You know? So that's also an important difference. Of course, an important point to know is that the guru. I mean, one of the attributes of the guru is that the guru must be knowledgeable in the scriptures. I mean, if you go to any verse that defines what the guru is, Bhagavad Gita is saying, Jnani nastato darshinaha. So the guru has to be Jnani. This means here has to have knowledge of Shastra. Bhagavatam is saying, nishnatam. So the guru has to be Nishnatam. Shnatam means like Snan, like taking a bath, Snan. So it has to be immersed in knowledge. So there are different levels of guru, therefore there are different levels of the depth of knowledge, but the guru has to be knowledgeable of Shastra and have realization of that knowledge, of course. It's not just about information. So at least it, he, the guru, or she, just in case, <laughs> has to have knowledge of Shastra and Comprehensive knowledge of Shastra in terms of the principles, details ideally also, but sometimes there may not be there. Some guru may lack some proper knowledge of certain aspect in the detailed way. So 
But ideally, guru have to have comprehensive knowledge of shastra, of the main principles of shastra, that to create a foundation. Because if that's not there, the guru won't be able to reply to the questions of the disciple, and therefore won't be able to nourish the faith of the disciple. Because faith, and that's a point that I want to touch upon today, we are talking about faith today, and one of the words for faith is shraddha. And Srila Rupa Goswami speaks about two types of shraddha, in Bhaktira Samrita Sindhu, Lokiki Shraddha and Shastriya Shraddha. So I don't want to talk to you with too many new terms, but a few. <laughs> so Lokiki Shraddha means more like mundane faith, like social convention, like everyone believes in that and I also believe. But if someone <coughs> asks me why, oh, because everyone else is saying that. That's not too deep, a more sentimental thing. Shastriya Shraddha is my faith is based on what Shastra says. So my point is, the faith of the disciple is to be nourished on the basis of what Shastra says. So if the Guru doesn't know what Shastra says, how he will be, if he will be nourishing the faith of the disciple. So it's very important that the Guru has uh, knowledge of Shastra. Did you say that was, who, who said that? Was it like Rupa Goswami. Rupa Goswami. Rupa, Rupa Goswami, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Surely Bhakti Thakur repeats that, but originally it came from that. No? So, so he, yeah, basically he describes Shraddha's uh, Shastra Artha Vishwas, to have faith, confidence into what the scriptures are saying. So that's the ideal scenario. <laughs> uh, and I'm emphasizing that because I've seen many times the problem of not having that ideal scenario. And someone, uh, how to say, performing the service of guru, but not having the knowledge that is required to be, a, to be in that role, you know, and the disturbance that that may create. So what to do in those cases? <laughs> of course, I'm talking in general, I'm not talking about any specific guru or case, but I can understand it's complicated. Um, it doesn't mean that necessarily we have to think, oh, that person is a cheater or is a bad person. At least in that case, the guru should be humble enough to acknowledge, I don't know, <laughs> and should direct the disciple to someone that may help to solve those doubts, or the guru himself, herself should do the homework <laughs> and continue educating himself. I mean, a guru doesn't mean someone who already knows everything and doesn't need to further study more. No? Real guru will be always studying Shastra because there is no end to the depths of that. So I will say that's, that's the, what to do in that moment. No? If the guru is not having certain... Again, if there are details, okay, there are different... Like, like someone asked once, Sila Prabhupada, who is the... The, the yuga avatar of treta yuga. And he said, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and I, I was okay. I'm okay with that. It's not that, oh, if he doesn't know that, then all my faith structure collapses because he doesn't know who is the yuga avatar of treta yuga. Okay. That's not, I mean, we are in Kali Yuga and we know who is the yuga avatar of Kali Yuga and we have enough work to do with that information. That was the spirit of his answer. It was not so much like dismissive, but just 
Sometimes we may also question about things that are not necessary to question. That's another thing. We may get too much into the details and it becomes more like an intellectual curiosity. And, and the guru needs to know when to cut that also. And say, you're asking too much. We are thinking too much. No? That's another situation when some the Prabhupada disciple was asking Prabhupada like, <clears throat> No, and he gave these interesting answers. No, once it was like, uh, Prabhupada, but uh, how, how, how Krishna? I, I studied the whole geography of Vrindavan and which is the distance from one place to another. So I have studied that Krishna during the day he's in Govardhan, and then goes here and then goes Varsan and then Radhaka. But I calculated how much time does it take, and it doesn't make sense according to math. No. And there are different replies that Prabhupada gave. One reply was, you're reading too much, he said. <laughs> like making this point, no? I mean, like, you're getting stuck in your head. You're trying to figure everything out from here, and it's not all about that. Or other times he will say, Vrindavan is described as a lotus. No? And each place, each lila stali, each place of lila is like a petal of that lotus. No? So he, he used this mudra like to illustrate the lotus. So here we have Barsana and Radhakun and Nandagram, whatever. So when Krishna wants to go to one place to another, the lotus just closes and Krishna just passes from one place to another and then opens again. So he gave that transrational explanation, <laughs> no? which may sound simplistic in one sense, but trying to make the idea of don't try to figure everything out with your brain because at one point you have to enter brain dead bhakti as we were talking before. No? Mm -hmm. So depending each case, sometimes, and again, that, that's not an excuse to, for a guru to cancel questions that are valid. No? That's my point. Because sometimes I've seen that also. One has a valid question, don't think, don't ask, don't speculate, and it's a valid question, but sometimes it's a question that I don't need to ask. And in that case, that needs to be also said. So each situation will be very specific. No? Or like I said the other day with the word achintya. No? <laughs> sometimes we are quick to press the achintya button. Achintya means inconceivable. And I've heard sometimes someone presents a valid question and the person answering doesn't know what to say. So they will say achintya. It's achintya, it's achintya. Another question? No. <laughs> Well, actually, you have to say, I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, sorry, I will prepare myself further. Uh, it's not a chintya. <laughs> I don't know. That's it. No? Sometimes it's important that we also can say, I don't know. Sometimes we feel this pressure of, I can never say, I don't know. Why? No? We don't know so many things. We ignore more than what we know. But sometimes, especially if someone is in the role of a teacher, whether it's guru, sannyasi, whomever is, enters into that role, we have to be careful not to, to develop this thing of, I have to have answers to all the questions in the most perfect way at every single minute, always. <laughs> you become a machine of certainty. <laughs> so you cannot say, I don't know, because if you say, I don't know, what will happen? No? But it's, it's healthy also to sometimes say, or even if you can say a lot about something, at the end you can say, that's what I have to say about that, but I don't know so many more things about that also. 
something like that, right? So, anyhow, some thoughts in that connection. Um, I've seen both things here explaining that mm -hmm. over, over the years with different mm -hmm. groups. I'm, I also uh, think it's good to do thought experiments where you, you meditate on, on what is the reason behind something. Mm -hmm. And in relation to that, Vrindavan, the distances in Vrindavan, I thought about it also for many years, trying to understand it how it's possible. Because some things are also to be explained logically as well as just it's a logos that we can't understand how. Mm -hmm. So the the understanding I came up with was that in the past, in Dobra Yuga for example, people were a different size. Mm. So now the steps feet, the steps were bigger. Yeah, for example if we're six feet in, in Krishna's time there would be twelve feet. Mm. So a distance, uh, a mile, is measured on, on the distance of the feet. Mm. So if someone's six feet, their feet are like this, but if they're 12 feet, then their feet are much mm. bigger. So then that mile will be halved, mm. plus they're bigger, so the step will be bigger. Mm. So the distances wouldn't seem so much. <laughs> yes. That's so another. So it would be perfectly logical what we see mm. now. Mm. Yeah, I agree that as much as we can remain logical, we have to, and when one logic is insufficient, yeah. we need also to establish that because scripture also mentioned Tarka, Pratishtana, logic ultimately in relation to the absolute is insufficient, but that doesn't mean that we have to be illogical in the name of being transcendental. You know? so, and I agree that many times we, we fail in that and in the name of achintya and transcendental and, and faith, we don't resort so much to, to logic, to common sense, to being reasonable. And we have to present a reasonable faith. No? It's not just about emotionality and sentimental feeling, but just there is a, a, a logic to it. So, but again, too much of that can be a problem. So it's always walking this tight rope and keeping that balance. And again, that's the role of the, of the teacher and the disciple, both of them remaining aware of not falling into too much one extreme nor the other. And in that connection regarding today's title, that's also a point, no? We were mentioning how doubt, uh, how can we have faith in our doubts, so to say? <laughs> how can doubts nourish our faith? But also how we can doubt our faith sometimes. When our faith becomes too irrational, too illogical, <laughs> too rigid, too... Okay. exclusive to fanatical to whatever <coughs> reductionistic too much on the side of certainty as we were talking today well we understand faith that just being certain about everything and, and figuring out everything uh, we can be using faith as an, a spiritual bypassing basically or sorry superiority complex or a just as I like to say, practicing spiritual life sometimes is the best excuse not to practice spiritual life. Like I'm practicing spiritual life. Uh, and you can just repeat to yourself those designations as the best, best possible reason not to be actually practicing internally. So you create the facade. As, that's one of the main points in my recent book that I talk, we are personalists but sometimes we behave in such an impersonal way. 
But the problem is that we are overtly personalists. We are not saying officially, I'm impersonal. I'm saying I'm personal, but you are behaving in person. So you are an impersonalist in disguise, which is even more dangerous. <laughs> so this is the same. I can create for myself a devotee in disguise template and get attached to the form of the disguise and forget to act activate the essence of that. So, so what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to be a devotee? This, this is a very personal internal journey. Externally, I can convince all of you, here I am, Padmanabha Swami, this, blah, 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 blah. But what's going on inside? That may be invisible to all of you. And it may be invisible to me if I'm not sincere enough and vigilant enough what's going on in my heart. And I can really convince myself, huh? I'm fine. I have faith in Krishna. But sometimes that faith in Krishna becomes more like a stubborn sense of certainty and, 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 and security, like a security plan. You know? Like, I have faith in Krishna, therefore, whatever. Krishna is forced to take me to Golok at the end of this life because I have officially, I'm a card-carrying member of his tradition. <laughs> and many times, uh, again, we can become addicted to certainty. That's not faith. But we can become addicted to certainty, to having everything clear and in place, predictable. Uh, and again, all that can have, has a lot to do with control and power. And ultimately, you are competing with God if you are doing that. <laughs> He's the all-powerful. He's the all-controlling. <laughs> so if you want to be all-powerful and controlling, you're basically trying to be Krishna, literally. And many times, those who conceive a faith like that, again, a faith that deserves doubting, <laughs> those who think faith is all about certainty are insecure people. Insecure people that needs excessive security, certainty, because they haven't learned to be humbly confident hmm, regarding their own being, basically. Hmm. Especially in the midst of uncertainty. Hmm. So we need to develop a skill of coexisting with uncertainty. When things are uncertain, we need to be okay with that. Hmm. When things, I don't know what's going on in this, in this, in this way, we need to be okay with it. We are always surrounded by uncertainty. But many times we don't want to, to look at that, to recognize that. <laughs> we may be in, in a situation where we are certain about some things, but surrounded by uncertainty. <laughs> comfort zone means certainty. Outside of comfort zone means uncertainty. So we need some comfort zone, we need certainty, but we also need uncertainty to balance our certainty. Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he will say, those who are not patient when Krishna is making some arrangement in their life, they are showing basically that they have no faith in Bhagavan. Krishna is doing some arrangement in your life and he throws you outside of your comfort zone. He throws you into an ocean of uncertainty. <laughs> and he wants to see, let's see how you react now. No? Are you patient with what the arrangements are doing for the betterment of your life? Or you are getting like completely freaking out, wanting everything to be clear and perfect and controllable and manageable? 
that shows that you have no faith that Krishna is arranging everything for the best of you. Mm -hmm. And but again, Shraddha has a lot to do with that. Shraddha has a lot to do with I'm okay with uncertainty, with mystery. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, and, and I trust, trust him, fully trusting Krishna in that moment. No? I don't know why certain things are happening. I don't know, but I know <laughs> that he's behind those things. He's my well-wisher. Those things I know. There is certainty about those things. But there's big uncertainty about so many other things. And it's okay. No? An important point that I, I like to share in this connection, where we talk about Shraddha or faith, Srila Jiva Goswami mentions in his Sandarbhas. It's very interesting what he says. He says, Shraddha is faith and Sharanagati, you may have heard this word, Sharanagati, we translate it as surrender. Sharanagati is the outer expression of Shraddha. <clears throat> in other words, if I have faith internally, that will show itself externally in the form of surrender. And he describes six main aspects of surrender. We won't go through them in detail. That takes a whole month minimum. Mm -hmm. But the main aspect, Angi, of surrender is, there are mostly two. There's one which is accept that Krishna is maintaining me. Accept that. Have trust that Krishna is protecting me. Which again has to do with what, what I'm talking now. You may be in a total uncertain situation. How you show your faith? By surrender. How you show you by surrender? Krishna is protecting me. I fully trust that. And I fully accept that he's maintaining me in the midst of chaos. <laughs> no. And we need to be put to test to see where we are. So we're talking these days. If I'm not put to test, I don't have an idea where I am. I don't know who I am. I'm thinking, I am this, 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 this. Then a test comes, a challenge comes, and I became someone else in one sense. So we need those tests. And if we are honest, if we are honest, we want to know who we are and where we are so we can continue progressing to whatever we need to, to be. So tests and challenges will come. I take that as the very spirit of Kunti's prayers when she's praying to Krishna, send me problems, <laughs> send me calamities. It, it's not that she's a masochist, no. <laughs> I take that as send me obstacles, send me challenges, send me tests. So my faith is invited to grow, and the more that happens, the more I see you. That's what Kunti is saying. The more those situations come, the bigger my darshan, the more I can perceive your presence in my life. So, in this way, we have deep trust, deep faith in Krishna's mercy, Mahaprabhu's mercy, but we don't know how that mercy will take shape in our lives, for example. I'm, I'm certain about his love. I'm totally uncertain how that love will appear in my life. I have no clue. But the other certainty gives me the foundation. I'm okay with whatever form that takes. As we were talking yesterday, the Govardhan Leela is a classical example. Brajabhas are going to Krishna, please protect us from Indra's reign. Give us shelter. Give us... 
but they don't know how the what the shelter will look like. <laughs> they just are surrendering themselves. They don't know whatever how Krishna will respond to that. They don't know. They never think he will pick a mountain and lift it like a mushroom. They were not thinking about that. <laughs> they just surrendered without being attached to how the shelter he will provide will look like. You follow my point? But many times we, we are not willing to do that. We, we already know, we pray to Krishna, give me shelter, and we already have a very clear idea how the shelter should look like. <laughs> we get attached even to that. Or as I say sometimes, we pray to Krishna, oh Bhagavan, give me your mercy, and your mercy should look like this. No, <laughs> we already have this preconceived notion how you should give me mercy. <laughs> and it's funny because when we say to Krishna, give me mercy, and he gives mercy, but it comes in a way that we didn't expect. And immediately we start to pray to him again, Krishna, give me mercy to protect me from this. And he will say, but that was my mercy. That was my reply to your previous prayer. And now you are running from that mercy begging for more mercy. How does it work? <laughs> I'm giving you mercy and you are begging, praying to me to protect you from my mercy. It's nonsense. <laughs> but you do that, we do that a lot many times. <laughs> and that's again because we want certainty, we want control, we want even that Krishna's grace comes in a certain packaging. <laughs> but the very idea of surrender means I let it go. I'm not attached to that. You decide. You know what's better for me, basically. And I fully trust you. I fully trust your criteria. Hmm? You two were raising your hand. You now and you before. And you now. <laughs> so, yeah, we are having QS questions and answers in between. So it's a way of continuing with the topic. Yeah. I, I really like, I use the word analogy, but it's not an analogy. It's in relation to the way you said about the, the faith and then the uncertainty. I really thought that was a very beautiful mm. way of describing that because um, how the uncertainty that the situation that Krishna gives us makes us surrender, deepens our faith. Mm -hmm. But also the, the points that you just uh, um, touched on as well. Sorry? The, the points that you just touched on as well about um, uh, the distribution <coughs> of mercy, when he gives us his mercy there. Uh, because when stuff gets too uncertain around us, then we go into the mind, which mm. then we forget Krishna. Mm. And just like, I know it's a continual journey of reminding ourselves, and sometimes we have to get a, a bit too explorative in the non-Krishna surrender to get a bit of a slap and go, okay, Krishna, mm. sort of. Mm. So, it, is there a healthy point where, not that we end up being uncertain about everything, but a healthy point that even when things flicker on the edge that we can go, Krishna, instead of having to get so far into logicizing, 
you know, sort of being logical about the situation and mm -hmm. find my own solution mm -hmm. that maybe our awareness can come to the point of like, okay, I'm forgetting Krishna. Mm -hmm. Even when it starts on a flickery level, rather than getting such dense thing that you're like, God, this is an overwhelming moment. Mm -hmm. Krishna, help me now. Mm -hmm. Any tips? <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm cheating, but I know it will come with time. I know this. <laughs> Yes, you may imagine there is no like here goes the magic, the magical formula. Sometimes we need to to go through through the emotions and the experience and fail many times the tests, which is part of the learning. That's also for me important to normalize failure <laughs> instead of stigmatizing failure because sometimes we are very expert in stigmatizing failure. And this is a question I had yesterday. I listened to class. Oh. Online, mm. uh, and that question came up in me. That is something I really felt that maybe in by hearing all from you, that answers would come. Mm. Mm. So, mm. Um, yeah, of course, Krishna will never send us a test that we cannot pass, but he will send us a test that we cannot pass unless and until we surrender to him, <laughs> right? That's, that's, a, that's the idea of the test. Now, by your own efforts, independent of his shelter, it will be impossible. With his shelter, it will be difficult. <laughs> Never easy. Easy is nonsense. It's boring. Imagine, I have a test for you. You have to move this glass like this. And I said, that's not a test. No, <laughs> that's no challenge. Not... So the test needs to be difficult. So we grow, we learn, we are put a little bit, a little bit again, not extremely out of the comfort zone. I'm here not promoting excessive uncertainty because it's like paranoia, it's too much but not excessive certainty, because that's also equally dangerous. So a healthy dose of coexisting with one feet into, sometimes the, the terms I use is chaos and order. No? Order and chaos. Not chaos as something bad, but does it something which lies beyond the realm of order, which things has their own order, different from how we think about, and, and it's healthy. It's, it's difficult, but it's healthy. <clears throat> and Krishna provides correspondingly, I can tell you. I mean, last year I went through the more, the most unpredictable, complex situation I've gone in through my whole life. And it was like the most, the last thing you could ever have imagined in a degree that is like completely overwhelming, completely unpredictable, completely like uncertainty. I was not able to basically know what will happen in my life the next day. So that was really like, wow. <laughs> but it was equally overwhelming, the degree of mercy and shelter and support that Krishna provided in those moments. Because in a situation of, of, of that degree of also pain, suffering, you're also open. Pain opens us. <laughs> opens us a lot. Great love opens us a lot. Great pain opens us a lot makes us receptive. So in that moment of great pain, Krishna sends so much. 
And I was able to receive that and perceive that in a way that probably I couldn't be able to do that in a normal day, so to say. <laughs> so that's the key, the perception of Krishna's mercy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's crucial to remain on a daily basis. That's part of our sadhana. Sadhana is kind of training our, our vigilance, our awareness to not lose sight of the fact that Krishna is always loving and merciful because we tend to forget. And, and it's, it's, it's important that we remind ourselves on a daily basis. That, that's the essence of all instruction, says the scriptures. Smart to be us at the time, Vishnu. Always remember Krishna, never forget Krishna. All the rules and regulations of the scriptures are all to serve that principle. To, and to remember Krishna is not just to remember Krishna, like peacock feather, okay, blue like a cloud, Brenda, that, I remember Krishna, I did my, I check my book. But it's like to remain aware of his mercy, of his mood, of his attempt of trying to approach us and relate to us. All, all that means to become Krishna conscious. It's not just to say, I know who Krishna is. I'm Krishna conscious. <laughs> no, I did my homework today. But it's just to really enter into that space where, where you become more and more aware till you become absorbed <laughs> in the reality of who he is. As supremely loving, supremely merciful, supremely... Uh, everything <laughs> and, and more and more till we never forget that anymore and that's all that is that's the ultimate reality so, but we have to begin somewhere <laughs> so and that protects us all from patience as well oh yeah oh yeah I mean we cannot become lovers of God if we remain complacent yeah you know like Christ I will say those who are like mediocre here you use the word mediocre what's the word like What's between like warm, like lukewarm? Lukewarm, that's the word. I I lukewarm? Like I spit on them or something. I spit up. No, like that I, I don't I, this or that, no? like be honest, but don't do this like in a mediocre, complacent way. Like if we want something, let's go for it fully. No? As much as we can today, no? Fully doesn't mean overexerting myself and becoming like dysfunctional. I had to become a pure devotee by this weekend or something. No, that's like relax <laughs> because the process is gradual, also. No? It may take a few lifetimes, even, and it's okay. I remember once someone asked that to Srila Bhakti Raksakthidan Maharaj, like, Gurmaj, if I begin Bhakti in this lifetime, which we never know, but let's put it hypothetically, if I'm beginning Bhakti in this lifetime, I'm doing everything. Perfectly, which is not real, but <laughs> relatively nicely <laughs> in this lifetime. How much time will it take for me to attain Golok or something? And he will reply different ways. One way will be, why do you care about that? Because if, if bhakti in itself, Krishna says in the Gita, susukam kartum, bhakti is to be practiced joyfully. Bhakti in itself is joyful. So if bhakti is so nice, where do you want to go? Why are you are concerned about going somewhere? If you are already doing bhakti, and the goal of your life is to do bhakti. I mean, we do bhakti so we can continue doing bhakti. We are not doing bhakti, so someday we stop doing bhakti, 
and do something else. That's not our practice. In our traditions, they will have that. <clears throat> you engage in karma kanda, and you do lots of penances and discipline. You restrain yourself from so much, so you can attain heavenly planets and enjoy like mad. <laughs> so the sadhana, the practice, categorically different from the goal you want to attain. In Gyan also, they cultivate knowledge and engage in different practices, so eventually they merge in Brahma, which is different from what they were doing in the practice. But in Bhakti, you do Bhakti, so when you attain the goal, you can continue doing Bhakti deeper. So Bhakti is both Sadhana and Sadhya, practice and goal. That shows that Bhakti is the supreme practice because it takes to nothing higher than that. It takes you to the same thing in deeper ways. There's nothing more apart from that. But someone asked once, Srila Prabhupada, what's the result of chanting Hare Krishna? He said that you will be able to chant more Hare Krishna. <laughs> no? We don't want to stop doing that at some point. Actually, we want to increase that in quality, in quality and quantity naturally. So, so, so one more thing, sorry. That's one answer that Sila Semaraj gave. Another answer was, when will I, will I attain <clears throat> the spiritual world if I practice nicely in this lifetime? He said, well, if you do everything nice starting this lifetime, maybe two, three lifetimes. And the devotee was in shock. The devotee was, three lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And Srila Siyamara saw his shock and he was in shock. It's too much, two, three lifetimes? Mm -hmm. No. After unending lifetimes that you are just like wandering in samsara and in two, three lifetimes you attain the heart. That's nothing. No? We should be ashamed paying so little for such a goal. <laughs> Anyhow, some thoughts about that. Rita, you have questions? <clears throat> yeah, you raised your hand before. You mentioned it over and over. Mm. And um, that time, at least I, I don't understand. I don't want to explain this situation. When Krishna gave up the mountain, <coughs> before, that time is more But they came uh, with stickers, <laughs> they were too heavy. Mm. <laughs> well, that's connected to what we talked before, no? Like how, what's the psychology of the Brajabhasis, of the inhabitants of Vrindavan? No? They are seeing Krishna lifting this hill, which is something very extraordinary. But due to the love they have for Krishna, they will only see that in terms of intimacy. So what they will think is, Oh, Krishna is lifting this hill and it may be a little heavy for him. Mm -hmm. So let's help him. So they will bring the sticks. No? Again, what's a stick? No. <laughs> but in their psychology, like, let's relieve him of any pain. No? Some other friends will, th those are the elders of Vrindavan. No? Because they are the elders, they will think we are stronger than Krishna. So we'll help him. He needs our help. That's their psychology. He needs our He needs. In other conceptions of God, you will never think God needs something. In any other conception of God, God is Atmaram, is self-satisfied, no needs. So I, I, I worship him not because he needs anything, but because he's God. For example, in Vaikuntha, that's basically the standard. Everyone in Vaikuntha is aware Narayan is God. 
and we love and worship him because he's God and God is to be worshipped. But that's not the standard in Vrindavan. In Vrindavan is Krishna needs this and this and this and I'm here to provide that to him because he needs so much. The more, he, the more needy he is, the more opportunity of service I have. Try to think about that. The more a form of God shows necessity and Krishna doesn't have necessities out of, how to say, as we have necessities as a condition. So that's an important point to make. Because you will say, how can God need something? If God is God, he doesn't need anything. And that's true in one sense. In this world, we feel so many needs. We have so many holes in our hearts, so many voids. And we are trying to fulfill them. But God doesn't have those voids, those holes. But he has a certain necessity, and it's the necessity that comes out of love. That's a very interesting point. When you love, you want to say love fulfills all your needs. But at the same time, love creates its own new needs. Because when you love, you can always love more. And that's a need. <laughs> In one sense, love satisfies all necessities and creates its own need which is, how can I love more? How can I give myself more? How can I please Krishna? So there are so many necessities, but all of them born out of love. So it's a very different necessity than the necessity we may have without love. So in that sense, Krishna is full of needs in Vrindavan, <laughs> and the devotees are there to attend him. He needs to eat, he needs to rest, he needs to meet with the gopis, he needs to play, he needs to take his cows, he needs... So that's why the elder... Rajavasis will think, oh, he's lifting this hill, but he needs help. He must, he's so young, he's so weak, he needs help. And we are the elders. Let's help him with the stick. No? Or his friends. No? Sridham, especially Sridham. Sridham is famous for being very strong among Krishna's friends. And he's famous for defeating Krishna in wrestling. Krishna always loses. He's not winning. He loses always when wrestling with Sridham. So Sridham will come to Krishna and say, Hey, Kaniyala, give me the hill to me. I'm stronger than you. And you take some rest. Now, pass, pass the hill for me for a minute. Now, that's, that's their psychology. And they're serious. They're not joking. They're like, hey, I, I mean, you know that I always defeat you in wrestling. So if you can lift this, and I always defeat you. I can live this even easier. And so you can relax for a while. Come on. And other friends are like massaging Krishna's arm <laughs> so he can relax. And then just show that will come of thinking, oh, Krishna must be so hungry and weak while he lifting the goat. He has to be fed. And she starts like to feed Krishna on the mouth. But so again, nobody's thinking he must be God. <laughs> They're all saying he has so many needs. And the gopis, of course, they will think especially the, 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 the servants of Sri Radha, say two different things there. One of them will say, actually Krishna is receiving the strength to lift this hill by looking at our Swamini, by looking at Sri Radha. She's giving him the power, the strength. And that's philosophically true. She is his Shakti. <laughs> so they will think, yeah, that, that's why you can lift that. Or even sometimes they will chastise Krishna when they're after that Leela, Sometimes Krishna will come and say, I'm so strong, I lifted Govardhan. 
And the gopis will start to, to chastise him and say, that's not true, you're such a cheater. Actually, Govarda was satisfied because of the puja that Nanda Maharaj offered to him before. And, and Govardhan was so satisfied that start to float by pleasure. And you just came down and put your finger down like if you're lifting that. Now, so you're a cheater. Don't come to us that you are strong. And, and, no, all, all of us know that you are not strong. So that's when that one stand there. <laughs> so that's how we can explain the sticks and all these other details, which are, again are especially sweet and charming. Yes. Uh, I, in regards to faith, so doubts. Yes. Uh, I had one proper uh, disciple. He said, "But Sri Prabhupada said that uh, doubts before being shaken means a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Doubts after initiation means lack of sincerity." So mm -hmm. I, I find I found this statement quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And the other thing also. Is, I found it really amazing that the Patanjali, the author of Yoga Sutra, explains that Shraddha, faith, is like a mother, like a nourish, always protecting their child, her child. Um, he said that it doesn't matter uh, which path someone is following, bhakti, yoga, whatever, mm -hmm. path, uh, the person needs uh, faith. Mm -hmm. And but once someone loses faith, everything finishes. Mm -hmm. So it's quite sometimes you can see we can see that the God is even the God is sometimes lose, uh, lose faith even in guru or in the process mm -hmm. they are completely burnt out, so to speak. You know? mm -hmm. so, um, we see this kind of sometimes extreme example that someone can reach this age that. I would expect in guru, I would mm -hmm. in the or mm -hmm. Christian process. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, of course, regarding what you mentioned, what Prabhupada said, what you referred to Prabhupada, he's referring there to certain types of doubts. No? He says, if you have doubts after being initiated, it means you are not sincere. He's referring to doubting the whole process in itself, not healthy doubts that can nourish your faith, just to make that clear. Because Krishna also in the Gita is saying, those who doubt are not happy in this, in this or in the next lifetime. So it may seem like contradictory. So we, we are supposed not to doubt about anything. But he's referring to certain doubts that we no longer need to have. But there are some other types of doubts that, again, are keeping us growing and progressing and opening our hearts. So, and of course, in the case of, of the devotees who doubt, their guru, of course, depending each case. No? Unfortunately, unfortunately, sometimes certain gurus do not behave very properly. And in that case, you have to doubt <laughs> also. There is place for that. That's not the ideal. That's not the rule. It may be an exception to the rule. But if someone serving in the capacity of guru starts to say or do things which are not supposed to be done or say by a guru, you need to doubt health in a healthy way. You have to exercise caution. No? It doesn't mean that you are doubting about the principle of the guru, about the parampara, but about how that particular person is representing the agency of parampara. Because if you don't have that criterion, you open the doors for abuse. No? 
And I've heard, I've seen that so many times, like you cannot doubt, you should surrender. And you say, yeah, but there is this thing going on, which is weird. It's not according to what Shastra and Parampara say. So I have to apply, I have to think properly. say, you have to become independently thoughtful people also. No? Criterion, common sense, <laughs> uncommon sense, I will say, because common sense is quite uncommon. So <laughs> uncommon sense, <laughs> we have to develop that. No, not only Shastra and this and that principle formula, common sense. No? <laughs> and so if someone loses their faith, again, I cannot say this is because of this. Each situation is unique. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, I'm not here to judge anyone. It's just we have to analyze each case for what it is. <laughs> um, but I think it's important that we remain open that of course, as you mentioned, we cannot do anything without faith, basically. If I don't have faith that I can open that door and cross it and that the world will end, <laughs> if I don't have faith, if I think by opening that door, everything will collapse, I will, I will not open the door. <laughs> so I need to have faith at every step in my life to, to do something. If not, I become like... No? So let's see Maharaj will say, suspicion leads to suspension. If I have too much suspicion about everything, I become suspended, I become frozen, I cannot move because I doubt everything and everyone. And, and I've seen that a lot, you know. Uh, sometimes also I've seen devotees being too, uh, how to say, too naive, too very over-idealizing everything and everyone, and from that jumping to the extreme of becoming cynical. Mm -hmm. And generally you see that those who are the more the ones who were over-idealizing the most are then the ones who become the most cynical. <laughs> they go from one extreme to the other. And we have to get a middle point. But we try to keep some innocence and openness, but also we have some experience and filter and criterion and balance both. Um, and again, each case is very specific. No? Some people may leave the path I won't say for un understandable reasons, but I don't know. I can understand if someone was extremely abused, that person needs to take a distance. I can understand. I mean, I, I won't. I won't label that person as a, you're a post. How is apostasy? You're you have betrayed or you are left. You are falling out. You have blooped. All these like labels that devotees sometimes used to put. <laughs> Be more empathic and compassionate. No? I mean, and as I mentioned in my book, that may sound a little shocking. I remember I shared that quote and a few were like, why are you saying that? Some people, the reasons for some people to leave the practice sometimes are better than the reasons for some people to remain. <laughs> in other words, a person may have gone through extreme abuse and trauma and they need a distance. I can understand. Some other people may remain externally as a devotee, but internally only they remain because of position, fame, followers, ulterior motives. So which of the two is more honest and sincere? <laughs> you follow my point. Mm -hmm. So our idea is to re remain as a devotee for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. <laughs> so anyhow, yeah, after some years of experience and going through different complex situations myself and seeing so much trauma 
going on. Yeah, you become compassionate and empathic and not quick to label and judge anyone because there can be complex situations that people is going through. So and we can never know, even if someone leaves the practice, whatever that means. <laughs> no? You never know where the heart of that person is. No? I, mean, I know person who for I don't know, they stop chanting rounds. That let's put it like that. But I won't label that person as they left the practice. You don't know where the heart is, their faith is. And some people may continue chanting, but just mechanically, externally. And their heart is not so much in the right places in the other case. So it's so difficult. There's no one single way to put everyone into one box or the other. So we should be careful not to, not to judge anyone. We should be determining, seeing where we are actually. That's enough, <laughs> enough homework we have. Where I am, I don't care where every, all of you are. I mean, I don't care in the sense of, I don't want to just judge you, analyze you and put you in boxes. I have to be very sincere where I am and where I want to be. And I need those two things, where I, want, where I am, where I want to be, and what's the path to thread from where I am to where I want to be. Like the GPS, you want to go to some place, you need to put where I want to be. And you need to put where I am. And then the path reveals, so to say. <laughs> Anyhow. Did I have a question? Well, it took like 25 forms in the meantime, so I have to pick one things. Yes. Um, no, I was a bit surprised when you, you, you seem to see doubt as a conscious process, as something we can control. Like you can choose to doubt in a healthy way, as you said, mm -hmm. to doubt as a way to dive deeper in the tradition. Mm. Or you said you implied that doubt in the process of doubting that oh, maybe that Krishna existed or whatever. You said that this was unhealthy, you implied it in a sense that you said the other type of doubt was healthy, right? Mm -hmm. But what if this kind of doubt is also just a condition, it's not something you choose? You said the other day that emotions are not bad in themselves, but the way you react to them can be healthy or unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Well, doubt to me says that doubt is the same. Like you can, I think as much more degrees that we think we tend to say that actually doubt the process very much. Mm -hmm. We're never really sure if mm -hmm. all good or if this is true. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a big taboo about this. You know, mm -hmm. We don't really talk about it so much. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of devotees, including myself first, that I think I will live the rest of my life in several lives just, I don't really know if this is, all this is true. Like, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we have very personal reasons to mm -hmm. join, mm -hmm. reasons, whatever, mm -hmm. like to practice. Mm -hmm. For most of us, we, we had emotions one day, or we had an experience, or we had like very, very personal reasons to follow something. But when it comes to preaching, for example, then we have to use the concept of faith as a way to affirm something. You know, Christians have this concept of profession of faith. We say things because we heard them, and one day we declare, I have faith in this. I don't understand exactly the implications of this, like the state of this. Like, can you, I think it's very easy that this become like a narcissistic way of just being right without carrying the responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be about all these things. Mm -hmm. We will never know if the Shiva Bhagavatam is actually true, knowing the sense of knowing, right? 
it's like above this, as you said, it's not in the head anymore. Mm. But when it comes to sharing, you spend a lot of time sharing things, mm. like, oh, this is how I said this, it's written over there. Mm. Mm. We don't know anything about this, like, we don't know if it's true or not. So, and we don't really talk about this. So, I, I'm a bit surprised when you said it's unhealthy, because what if it's just in me and mm. it's just here? Like, that's, you know, that's the yeah. Hey, thank you. Let me clarify because. At one point, I also mentioned you, we may have doubts about whether all this is real. And in, in, if you have that doubt, you have to entertain that. You have to do something with that also. I, I say that also at one point. So what I mentioned with it's unhealthy, I'm not saying with this there are certain doubts you are not allowed to have. I'm just saying that it's unhealthy that you're caring. I mean, you're carrying some, some doubts and practicing, practicing in a way, so to say, or from a place where you should have solved those doubts already. Like, like for example, if you get married with someone, hopefully you spend some time clearing your doubts about that person so you choose that person voluntarily and trust that person. Some things may happen after getting married, but you spend some time to really make an informed decision where after accepting the person, I, I no longer doubt that person on a daily basis you know, because that's not healthy. You know? So my point is, if I accept a guru, if I embrace a practice, <clears throat> that should be ideally impelled by faith and faith for me in this context, and not for me only, for what's described. Faith is not a belief. We were talking about that the other day. I remember when. Faith means the trust that comes from certain undeniable experience that I have. So that's my point. If I don't have that experience and I practice and I doubt, I mean, it's not healthy. When I say it's not healthy, I'm not saying you are to blame. I'm saying you had to do something with that. It's, I mean, it's not healthy to be in Krishna consciousness and doubt Krishna consciousness. Yeah, but then you're stuck because... No, you have to do something with that doubt. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying but, but it's not healthy that you accept a guru and you, and you doubt your guru after accepting your guru. It's not healthy to be in that situation. So what you need to do is to solve your doubts so you can relate to that person with full trust and confidence. If you do not do that, you are stuck in doubt. So you have to present your doubts. I'm not condemning having doubts of any type. If it's, a, if it's an honest doubt you have, that's it. That's valid. It's what honest. It's there, 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 sorry? What if it's a doubt that by nature can't be solved? Like, what if I doubt, like, would I or someone doubt that the Shema Bhagavatam says the truth? This can't be solved. Why not? Or how? The only answer is to practice more, no? Yeah. So that means you will probably have to practice for 50 years doubting the whole thing, but still you will practice, isn't it? Is it still unhealthy or is it just a condition that we have to accept? Again, it all goes back to <clears throat> your original why you are practicing. To begin with, why you're practicing? Why you're practicing? Why you're why you open the Bhagavatam for the first time? Go there first. Why? Yeah, I just wanted to 
no? So you had some experience that this was real for you, whatever that was. So hang on on that and understand, okay, it's something real happened. Some, if nothing real happened, I would be the first to say, don't force yourself into something that you don't believe. I mean, we are not interested in just members, numbers of people, all of them questioning why we are doing this. I don't believe, I don't care for, I, I don't want that. That's, that's toxic. <laughs> we want people who voluntarily choose to give their lives to Krishna. And if they have doubts, all of the doubts are welcomed. And, and, and again, we are not stigmatizing. And I agree with you that there's not enough conversation about that and people may be afraid. What's the consequence if I say that I have this doubt? I will be like, no, like ostracized or labeled as a, you don't have enough faith. And, and, and you want, again, we go to the idea of fitting in. I want to belong to the group, so I force myself to, no, no, I have full faith. Yeah, yeah, I will do everything. And internally, you have this short-circuiting going on. <laughs> so we need, <clears throat> in my opinion, we need spaces and places, hopefully this is one of them now, <laughs> where we can be fully honest. <clears throat> and if I have a doubt, I can present it and I won't be judged and canceled and ostracized, but we can talk about that with common sense again. It, it can happen, no? This is not like a perfection performance, mm -hmm. no? Like I come here to be Paka no, <laughs> from day one and exemplary in every sense. I mean, there's a lot of messiness that we have to go through and the journey is ups and, ups and downs, no? especially certain stage of the practice. But be careful not to think that project your own stage that it will always be like that and everyone else is in that stage, you know? So, yeah. And regarding to talking to others and sharing, personally, I'm of the idea that you don't talk to others about things that you have not personally experienced. You just talk about what's real for you, what's really undeniable. That's the only thing you can actually transmit to other person from heart to heart. I don't know. I don't know. You ask those who keep repeating whatever they keep repeating. You have to see what, what you are to say to others. I mean, there are different people doing different things. No, I'm just trying to learn how to relate to these people because here in my over here constantly, <clears throat> uh, yeah, repeating things from the Shasta, from the Acharya, and it's like flowing. But like if everyone was like fully convinced of everything, and sometimes I feel it's very artificial, you okay. know, and I'm just trying to understand how to, how should I react to this? Like, am I, you know, sometimes I just hear stuff randomly, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? What am I even supposed to answer to this, you know? Mm -hmm. Things from books and people that I don't even know, and I'm supposed to believe that this person was uh, directly coming from the spiritual world, and then there's all these things are constantly repeated, and what am I even supposed to answer to this? Like, you know, Maybe you, you sign the day of initiation, like you take the package. You have your own guru. You have to ask your own guru about the things. That's it. What the others do, let them do whatever they want. I mean, it's not our... I mean, that's my point. No? I mean, there will be always so many people doing so many things in so many ways. And many of them will, will agree. Many of them will disagree. Many of them will understand. And of course, if there is someone close to me. Okay, talk to that person and ask him. But if, if it's people doing, I mean, I don't care. 
I mean, if, if I have to mention to you all the things that are being done and said in the Gaudiya Vaishnava universe on this planet, I mean, that's too many ways and forms of doing things, and I may disagree with so many of them, and I may agree with so many, but I don't have time to spend my life just to, or criticizing or pointing, or I have to find my own way of practicing that I feel uh, it resounds for me, it's honest, it nourishes my faith, the people who is aligning in that frequency, Bus. I don't have time for, for the rest. No? So if, again, if I'm in a certain situation, whether it's social dynamics, daily basis, work, family, friends, something is going on that I don't understand. That's another thing. You need to figure that out to talk to them. No? Why you keep repeating things from Shastra that you don't understand? No. And maybe they understand. They have full, They will tell you, no, I have realization. It's totally true. Or maybe not. And you are opening a conversation healthy for have healthy conversation for have that type of dialogue. But technically speaking, you have to, to you have to talk about things that you have experience of. Or by extension, one could say, <clears throat> okay, I'm talking about something, of course, having experience of, there are so many levels of having an experience of something. I mean, I'm talking about Krishna in Vrindavan. <clears throat> so it may seem that I'm now telling you, I have full experience of Christian Vrindavan. That's why I'm talking about that. <laughs> and that's not the case because in one sense, you can never have full experience of Christian. There is always more and more. But there is some experience. But also, <clears throat> we may have had experience of certain people. For example, you have some experience of what it means to be close to your Guru Dev. You have some experience in proximity to your Guru. That doesn't mean that you are having the experience that your guru is having. But being close to his experience for you is an experience unto itself. You follow? So that may take you to what certain things he says or does. experience them. You take them because you have an experience of him. And that takes you to trust certain things he may say that, that you have not experienced. But you have an experience of the person that is fully transparent, trustworthy, trustworthy, inspiring. So there is a place as an extended way for that. And you may be talking about some of those things, not because you have full experience or experience, but my Gurudev speaks about that. And I have experience of him being something total. And that's in that in that mood I'm talking about that. And praying for mercy to have further realization of that. So there are different ways of doing that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we also have two hours, so one more question. I'm going to support this one. And there's another question because uh, <clears throat> I, I may confirm that um, in our movement, we are communicating not on the heart level, <clears throat> Um, like we are equals, but most of the time we are in a situation that we are pre doing preaching and we are told we are preached to, or we are like somebody who is like uh, our inferior and we like child. Most of the time we are also preached like we are children up to six years old, we didn't understand anything like that. So I'm very appreciative of your way how you are. 
concern about <clears throat> how you have a dialogue with us and how you preach on standing the cure and you're taking your audience very serious. So I'm very thankful for that. But at the same time, um, uh, we are not in that way, how we are not encouraged in our to be as we are. We are playing the role. Or, or we are superiors. It is, it is encouraged to play a role that we are not. But actually, this heart level could help us to be more ourselves and to, to express bhakti and who we are. On that level, we are really getting in our power, in our real position to have a real exchange with the Lakshana. This is our actually part of our process. But we are not practicing. Uh, because I can love somebody who, who I'm meeting on the heart level, not mm. superior, that I worship somebody. Mm. So I'm taking this point and um, talking about what is actually weakness of our movement. Mm. And not only that yeah. you can solve that on your body, but this is actually to, yeah. to change something. Yeah. That's why I wrote my last book. <laughs> it's of course when you say our movement. It's, sorry. Could you please paraphrase that? I didn't hear any of it. Oh, okay. This question. Yeah, yeah. So she was mentioning about like showing empathy to Hudai Chaitanya's question, like mentioning how in our movements, and I assume you mostly refer to. I don't know if the ISKCON community or your particular group you are, because also I think it's important to clarify there are different Gaudiya communities and groups. So we may have a certain experience with some group, but it doesn't mean that everything and everyone else is the same. But I get your point. How sometimes we create certain, let's say, hierarchies or senior and juniors. How we are emphasized a lot in terms of preaching to others and entering to that role and it becomes sometimes kind of a performance when we forget to be ourselves and sharing with others <clears throat> from who we are instead of entering into a character so to say and it becomes more distant and superficial and we lose he quoted the idea of pretty lakshanam what rupa goswami says of loving affection intimacy so she was basically, you were basically reflecting on the importance of uh, promoting more, if I understood correctly, I'm paraphrasing, you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the importance of like encouraging devotees more to be themselves and, and trying to relate from that place instead of taking some like official roles in interacting with others that sometimes it may make it a little bit more distant or superficial something like that okay <laughs> so i agree i have i have nothing against that I've, i mean there are hierarchies I'm, i have nothing against the hierarchy it's natural that there will be elders and juniors and peers i mean it's a natural order of things and reality but yeah it has to all that has to happen in the context of Pretty Lakshanam, there has to be friendship because even you have your guru, but ideally the relationship with your guru should be one of friendship. Rupa Goswami says, Bishram Bhina Guru Siva. 
you have to serve your guru with bisramba. Bisramba means a deep sense of friendship, confidence, and intimacy. Of course, maybe in day one that won't happen, but the relationship has to develop in that direction. And I agree that, that we need to, and I again write a lot about that in, in my book on radical personalism, the importance of accepting each other for who we are now, no? acknowledging where we are, trying not to, again, stigmatize uh, our limitations, but honor them, and, and trying to have more honest dialogue with each other, even if it, if it is about talking about doubts we may be having or struggles we may be having and making it more human, no? more <laughs> realistic, and, and trying to convey to people, you, you, you don't need to stop being human to be a devotee, basically. <laughs> mm -hmm. You don't need to renounce uh, all that humanity entails. You don't need to renounce your messiness, your doubts, your conflicts, your ups and downs to be part of this. Br bring all that and let's talk about it together and let's try to work on, on that. We have knowledge, we have practice, there's lots of grace and mercy, but yeah, that's not disqualifying you for, from being a devotee, on the contrary. No? So I think it's, yeah, it's important that we normalize more and more uh, healthy, vulnerable conversations. But for that again, as I said the other day, we have to create safe spaces for people to be vulnerable first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that takes time. Now you have to create that space in yourself by being yourself, embracing vulnerability and transparency and openness and rawness and brokenness <laughs> and allowing those things to happen in the context of bhakti and creating a safe space where people can be who they are and not feel the fear of being like, ostracized, labeled, rejected, you are an aparadi, you are falling, you are in maya, all these labels that are not compassionate, not empathic, not representing Mahaprabhu's unconditional mercy. So we need more to represent the very spirit of our lineage, basically, which is all about deep love and mercy. Our acharyas are totally compassionate. Uh, with some criterion, again, we won't allow abuse to happen in the name of being merciful with the, with everyone, <laughs> but but yeah, we need to have more more and more honest conversations, and there is no taboo topic that cannot be talked about. We can talk about everything. We should talk about everything. Silence is problematic. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's we need to to how to say we are invited to be honest. We are invited to be transparent. We are. We, we don't need to, to receive permission for that, for doing that. We have permission because we, we are parts of the, of the family. That's our contribution to the parampara. So, so I agree. I mean, and, and that's way more transforming if we can talk to each other openly from heart to heart with deep friendship. That will create bigger transformations that just and I'm not saying this is happening ever, but just giving a professional exposition of Harikata. I mean, I can become, I can perform also. I can become a professional reciter of the Bhagavatam and say everything like, and even learn to be charismatic and 
and tell stories and I, oh, I don't know, learn to cry when I need. You know? But if it's not coming from a place of authenticity, it's not touching anyone's heart. It's just some like dopamine peak I'm creating. <laughs> some sense and joy. Oh, 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 oh. But real transformation, real heart change, that comes only from another heart that is changed and is willing to change more. So, so yeah, we need to, to sit together and just share, as one devotee once told, <clears throat> just get together and share how you failed today. <laughs> but but make it a, a collective effort so you don't real, you don't feel oh I, it's only me having this problem no it's only me going we are all in it together it's a it's a collective journey it's individual but it's also some kirtan no? it's collective no? samyak kirtan sangha kirtan no? so we are all it's not getting together only to sing it's getting together and accompanying each other as a teamwork. That's why we need to find our own uh, tribe, so to say. Inside a big institution, inside a big mission, you need to find your birds of the same feather flock together. Now you need to find your own like-minded swajatiya sadhu sangha rupa Goswami say, like-minded people. There may be two, one more, <laughs> one hundred, whatever. But that's how you can really. Ali, that's my take on it. No, I'm not so much about getting massive and getting more and more people just because of the number. If it's no real inner transformation, if there is inner transformation and number, die. <laughs> but just a number, I don't care. It can be an excuse to, you know, so many numbers are coming, so we must be doing great. What's going on in the heart of the people? That's the thing. I mean, we, we come to Krishna consciousness to become Krishna conscious, <laughs> to, to change our hearts. If that's not happening, then we have to recalibrate, like this GPS saying, recalibrating. No? <laughs> we went into the wrong place, so recalibrating, let's re, we go back. So, anyhow. I have to stop here. Okay, I'll stop here, but we, we can continue on informally sharing, but we'll conclude here. The, the meeting is almost two hours. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, uh, no, no, my question. Just we are having. I think we need to stop now. Stop. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll stop the streaming here, and we we continue sharing yeah. today or these it's days. Like yeah, yeah. But first, Sri Sachinandan Gaur Hari Ki Jai, Sri Sri Gaur Nitenanda Ki Jai, Sadhu Sangha Ki Jai, Gaur Premananda. <laughs>